welcome to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. Quick announcement before we get started, I am switching my episode release day from Wednesday to Thursday. It's just a bit better for my personal schedule and will hopefully help me maintain a consistent release schedule going forward. So from now on, be on the lookout for new episodes every Thursday. This week, it is the first week of the month, and that means this week's episode is going to be a character study episode, and this one is going to be about Coriolanus Snow, who we've obviously been talking about a lot recently, but this whole episode is going to be completely focused on him. These character study episodes do cover content from the entire series, including the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So if this is your very first time reading, you might want to skip this one unless you don't mind spoilers because I am going to be covering stuff that is ahead of where we are in that book. So I'm going to start off as usual with my little like spiel about who this person is, what they're up to. So Coriolanus Snow is a member of the famous Snow family from the capital. The Snows lost their once great wealth in the war and Coriolanus goes on to mentor the victor of the 10th Hunger Games, Lucy Gray Bear. After a brief stint as a peacekeeper in District 12, he attends a prestigious Capital University and then becomes an apprentice game maker. He goes on to become the president of Panem until the Second Rebellion forces him out of power and kills him. Um, and my opening quote is not from Mockingjay this week. Neither of my quotes were from Mockingjay this week. Maybe the first time this has ever occurred. Um, my opening quote is from The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. And it is... His mind could fixate on a problem like that, anything really, and not let go, as if controlling one element of his world would keep him from ruin. It was a bad habit that blinded him to other things that could harm him. A tendency towards obsession was hardwired into his brain and would likely be his undoing if he couldn't learn to outsmart it. And this quote is actually from very, very early on in Ballad. I think it's like literally in the first chapter, um, maybe the second. And I think it's it's really important that we acknowledge this controlling nature that he has very early on because that is the thing that is essentially going to make him like a villain. You know, like that is the thing that is being explored in this novel of like, could he ever sort of break out of that? Or was that always going to be the thing that led him on a path to the evil person that he ends up being, especially like in the later years of of Panem or like Panem as we know it in the original trilogy of books but yeah it's it's always going to be that and that is something that like is just a part of his nature and it's kind of like the big question of this book is like are people are people good or evil by nature or like is there room to improve is there room for someone to like become evil or for someone evil to become good or, like, is there always a fixed path for these people that, like, could Coriolanus Snow, if he had made different choices, been a better person? Or was he always going to end up the way he did? Which I think is a really interesting topic that there's not, like, a concrete answer to. Obviously, in this scenario, he does go down the, like, quote-unquote evil path. But, like, we see the choices he makes in this novel and you get to thinking, like, oh, if he had made a different choice here, there, or there, like, could things have ended up differently? And that is like the big question that is really left up to like the reader to answer or in in many ways not answer because like I said, I don't think that there is like a obvious right or wrong answer to that question. And I also think it's very like 
dependent on the person. Like some people are better or worse than others in terms of like their morals, their empathy, like things that would make you what is considered to be a good person. And a lot of these are things that Snow lacks. Like he, in in almost all situations, lacks empathy. Like he rarely thinks about others beyond like what they can do for him. Like in terms of like the actual feelings and lives of others, those things are never his priority. But like, could he have learned to care about those things? Maybe, but he doesn't, um, as we very well know. And I talked about this last week, but it's a really good jumping off point for like talking about Coriolanus Snow is like, if he had, and now I can actually talk about it spoiler-wise, um, if he had gone off into the woods with Lucy Gray at the end of this book, run away, not looked back, started a life with her, would he have been a better person? Or like, was there ever a scenario in which that could have happened? Because like, he was very, very on the fence about running off with her. And then like, obviously, we all know the events of like, what happens in the woods, blah, blah, blah. So like, would he have ever gone with her? I don't know. If he had gone with her, like, would he have even been able to do it? Like, I don't even know that he would have been able to like, not lose his mind just living like, a life without luxury, without riches, without power, without people who admired him. Like, I don't know that he could have ever done that. I think that he would have gotten tired of that real quick. And whatever love he thought he had for her, he, like, wasn't real, you know? Like, you don't do the things he did to her to someone you love. You simply just don't. And so I don't know that he ever could have been, like, quote-unquote, satisfied with that kind of life. And would it have eventually still driven him back to the person he became? Who knows? Um, it's a lot, a lot of what ifs with this book, because obviously it's like very much set up to be that, especially with like how far before everything else it takes place. Um, but it's definitely something that you're like thinking about throughout the book when he's like making these choices. You're like, maybe if he'd made the opposite choice here, like things could have ended up very differently. Big example, when he presses record on the Jabberjay, when Sejanus is explaining the basically like rebel plot to him what if he hadn't done that you know but like was wasn't he always going to turn Sejanus in one way or another and it's not like you know he records him with the intention of like you know maybe giving it to the higher-ups maybe doing something with it and they eventually find it without him like handing it over to them but like wouldn't he have done it anyway you know like it like one way or another that was going to end up with Sejanus dead but like what if he hadn't pressed record you know it's just a lot to think about a lot of decisions that have ramifications on so many people and it becomes like it starts out with just like his like circle like friends family whatever and it expands to like literally the entire country is being negatively impacted by his decisions and his actions and he either doesn't care or in a lot of circumstances like enjoys it he enjoys the like suffering that he is bringing to other people because it all just adds to his control and his power and like his ability to be like oh I'm better than everyone else so in terms of like his relationship with Lucy Gray I feel like I keep you know going back to like how unhealthy it was blah 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 so like I don't know I don't really want to dwell on that too much even though like you know it does very much impact him even later in life and that's like something you notice when you're reading Ballad is like there are a lot of similarities between Lucy Gray and Katniss in the sense that like Katniss would remind Snow of Lucy Gray just by her very existence 
Um, and then there are obviously more specific things like the hanging tree and the mocking jays and stuff like that. But just like, I just, okay. I'm going to talk about my, like, what happened to Lucy Gray after the end of Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes theories, like, once we get to that point in the novel and also once I eventually do an episode on her. But for now, I'm just going to say, long story short, my theory is that she dies. Um, and there's a lot more to it to that. I have a lot more evidence, blah, blah, blah. But we'll get to that. Um, I think I made a TikTok about it at one point, too, if you really want to know. But the idea that she, like, li- like haunts him for the rest of his life, like, not literally, but, like, very much she is always going to be in his thoughts in one way or another, as she should, as she should, because um, she deserved so much better. Um, and so, you know, and also she would love Katniss Everdeen. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the true tragedy of believing that she died is knowing that she never got to know who Katniss was. Um, which sometimes makes me want to reconsider my theory, but then I'm like, no, but like, it makes more sense that she's dead, unfortunately. But yeah, so you know, as soon as Snow sees Katniss, she's like, oh my god, this takes me back in a bad way, but we're like, oh, slay, like, Lucy Gray would have ate this up, she walked so Katniss could run, like, all of that, all of that. No, I was actually gonna start ranting about how I get annoyed when people are like, Lucy Gray will never be Katniss, but like we can save that for a different time or never because I will get mad and I really shouldn't even be engaging with it. Um, <laughs> but it makes me so mad because like ugh, just let them like like you don't have to drag one down to like the other, you know, like you don't have to hate Lucy Gray to like Katniss. It's actually like weird that you would hate one and love the other. But that yeah, beside the point. Um <laughs> Snow also like and we know he, like, hates Mockingjays, whatever, and so, like, Katniss becoming the Mockingjay, it's, like, an extra little, like, slap in the face to him of, like, this thing that he hated so much becoming the symbol of rebellion. But there's a very specific reason why a Mockingjay is the perfect symbol for a rebellion. And, like, it sort of comes to be because Katniss has the, like, Mockingjay pin and also, like, her and Rue with the Mockingjays and, like, her dad used to sing to them, all those kind of things. But, like, the Mockingjay itself is a perfect symbol because it is something that the capital never intended for it to exist and they have no way of controlling it. And that is why Snow, even before anything that happens with Lucy Gray, does not like Mockingjays. He th- he likes Jabberjays, he doesn't like Mockingjays. Because the way that Mockingjays came into existence is Jabberjays, which were created, were are a type of mutt, which were created by the capital to be used as a weapon against the rebels. But then like the rebels figured it out and started using it back and like whatever um mated with like once they kind of lost their purpose in the war they mated with mocking birds in the wild and created mocking jays and so and the capital like there's a scene in ballad where the peacekeepers like peacekeepers in training like snow and all his little besties are trying to like trap and kill mocking jays and they like can't get them like they can get the jabber jays but they can't get the mocking jays um, which is like infuriating to Snow because it's something that he can't control. And also he doesn't see their purpose. Like he sees the military purposes and like value of Jabberjays, but he doesn't really like care about music. Like it's, I think it's a scene when he is talking to Strabo Plinth actually, where he's like, do you think you're a lot like your mother? Because like she was great and your dad kind of sucked. And Snow's, like, trying to convince himself and, and Strable Plant that he's, like, more like his mother than his father. And I'm like, eh. um, And it's like, oh, his mother loved music. And, like, he doesn't really 
care for it or whatever or something stupid like that and I'm like first of all like how are you gonna not love music like red flag right there um but second of all like it even adds more to the like why would he hate Mockingjays because they can't repeat speech they can only repeat music and for someone who doesn't see the value of music which is really funny actually because he's like oh my god music has no purpose and then falls in love or like thinks he's in love whatever with a singer and a performer and is like oh yeah her songs are beautiful and like sort of starts to see like the deeper meaning behind them but then like after everything that happens at the end of the book he's like no like her stupid songs are always gonna like haunt me whatever blah blah but then 64 years later I guess like 65 Katniss Everdeen comes along sings the hanging tree on tv which not only is it like is literally Lucy Gray's song but also it is the thing that becomes like a call to action to a lot of districts and like people joining the rebellion and then it like spreads like wildfire basically and think about how mad that makes him especially as someone who is like music is pointless there's literally like it has no real value and then music being such a huge contributor to the rebellion that ends up being his downfall it's like poetry it is like poetry it it's just so good um it's so genius my obligatory once an episode Suzanne Collins you are a genius um we got that one checked off the list um, let's talk about something else messed up. That being Coriolanus Snow's relationship with the Plinth family. And I'm talking about after he gets Sejanus hung for treason. Hanged. Whatever. <laughs> Just, when I tell you, when I first read this, I was like, every single page, everything, I was like, oh my god, he didn't. Oh my god, there's no way. Which is so funny because, like, you know how evil he is. Like, this is the man that literally sends 24 kids off to the Hunger Games every single year without batting an eye. But there's just something about, like, the the smaller things that are just, like, that he doesn't even really see a problem with. That you're like, oh my god, what? Um, I'm specifically, first of all, <sighs> one little tiny moment that I will never fail to bring up because it just, like, what? I, I can't with him so Ma Plinth is always giving them like food and baked goods and stuff and she sends cookies to the like recruits in district 12 um and then like everything happens Sejanus gets killed and then Snow is like in the or like bunks like crying having a bad time and then he like eats the cookies that Ma Plinth sent to Sejanus and I'm like what is wrong with you like it's such a like little thing honestly but just like something about it is like it first of all deeply personal to me a person who loves Sejanus more than anything and was still like reeling from his death and I was like put those cookies down you don't deserve those you don't deserve Ma Plint's cooking you don't deserve her like ugh. and then but it literally gets worse he goes back to the capital and he's like oh like my parents are dead. The Plinth's son is dead. This is perfect. And basically, like, they, they don't actually adopt him because he's already 18. And so, like, they can't. But, like, in all ways except legal, he becomes their son. And I'm, like, and he, like, inherits all their, like, that is how he gets his wealth back. Not because the Snow family regains all the wealth they lost. Because he inherits the Plinth fortune because he killed their son. Or got their son killed. Whatever. <laughs> 
what is wrong with him and just like oh my god the the manipulation it's so it's so harrowing and they like pay for him to go to university and they're like they like pay for his apartment they move in below them like and they don't even know that he got their son killed what oh my gosh Maha Plinth, you deserve so much. Let like adopt me. I love Sedanus Plinth. I didn't get him killed. I love you. Like I really think that we would get along. Um. <laughs> anyway, <sighs> yeah, I remember reading that and being like, "You just you're the you're the reason their son is dead, and now you're like literally taking his place. Like he never existed." no words I literally don't even have words for that like I don't even need to sit here and explain like analyze that explain why it's messed up we all we all get it um also at the end of the ballad of songbirds and snakes okay this was the part when I was like first reading it Coriolanus goes into goes in to see Dean Highbottom and is like here I, I have this box of Sejanus's things but like here's his degree from the academy because like I figured you wouldn't want it out that like the academy educated someone who went on to be like a traitor and got executed for it and then he pulls out like pill bottles basically um out of the quote-unquote box of Sejanus's stuff and it's like I also think that we can leave this out of it since like you know he's dead no point in like dredging it up and like throws them away and you're kind of like what's going on like I don't remember any of this um and then he's like walking home and he's like laughing to himself about how he poisoned the drugs that he threw away in high bottom's office knowing that high bottom a drug addict would take them out and use them and and die which is also like you like poisoning people's like his thing later on so the fact that we saw it like the first instance of him poisoning someone literally just like a school official who like didn't like him and he was like okay well prepare to die and i'm like Okay, you don't like until that meeting, he didn't even know why Highbottom didn't like him. Like the reason he didn't like him is because he he like the, the okay, the way the Hunger Games were created, you know, Highbottom like kind of comes up with the idea like as like a joke basically of like, oh, this would be a way to like keep the districts in line, but like we should never actually do something like this. And then Crassus Snow and Dr. Gall were like, hmm this is good stuff and so they like actually did it um and one like they, they get like high bottom is the one who gets recognized as like the creator of the hunger games and also because like grass and snow died so he's not around anymore to do that but like so then every single time the hunger games came up they're like oh my god thank you so much like casca high bottom for this incredible idea and for making this happen and by this i mean like 23 children dying every single year and that's why he starts like doing drugs and like falling down the sort of path he falls down and that's why he doesn't like Coriolanus is because he sees so much of his father in him which like very accurate for all he tries to be like I'm more like my mother no no you're not you're just like your dad from what I've heard about him and he was the worst so and so are you um but yeah he literally like murders him for that and I'm like okay first poisoning monumental moment in snow's life unfortunately oh my god the ending of ballad is just so like the the chapter where they're in the way that it like 
goes from zero to one or goes from like a hundred to two hundred like it's already things are going crazy like Sejanus Plan just died and then all of a sudden they're in the woods and snow is like shooting at birds and like going crazy and you're like what is going on like it's just so like even though it's not from first person it's so unreliable narrator and I love that so much like I will eat up an unreliable narrator which is funny because Katniss is a very unreliable narrator in the original books but a very very different way obviously but I love that she that Suzanne still managed to get some of that like unreliable narrator energy into this book even though it is not in first person which again I thank her every day for not writing this in first person because it wouldn't have worked as well um but it's still like snow from snow's perspective and like first of all the snake that bites him in this scene is not even venomous he like goes to like the peacekeeper doctor whoever um and is like yeah this like snake bit me and then I started like hallucinating and they were like there is no venom in your body like that snake was not venomous you just like had a you just started like freaking out for no reason and that was why you were hallucinating quote unquote and like so you literally were just freaking out like he literally is just like the other day I had someone describe snow I think it was in like a TikTok comment or something as paranoid and like that is that nails it because like he it's and it become it comes from his need to control everything is that he is so paranoid all the time that someone is out to get him something is going to go wrong which like most of the time that is not the situation like there are definitely people in this novel that are like kind of out to get him a lot of times because he deserves it but like whatever um but it's just so like he's like oh my god everyone is against me all the time like I need to like be really like proactive in in fighting back against these people who are like trying to hurt me and that is why he hurts and kills other people is to like like hurt them before they hurt you basically even though a lot of the time they weren't going to hurt you um and we also I will talk about the other side of this when I talk about Lucy Gray and when we actually get to the section in the book of like was she actually like out to get him quote unquote or was that just in his mind um because that is also a very interesting topic of discussion and like something that we we truly like don't know the answer to we can analyze her character all we want we can analyze this section but like the the fun of the end of this book is that you don't actually know one what happened to her and two like what her plan was basically um and obviously like you're not inclined to believe anything snow is thinking or saying because like he is Coriolanus snow um but it's still like we don't actually know the truth um which I think is just like the, the end of this book has some of the best writing like I have ever read it was so so good I'm very excited to reread it even though it's been like many times now but like it's always a fun time you know but yeah so he poisons Casca Highbottom rest in peace I forgot what else I was saying about the end of Ballad just it's all messed up and the way he like spends the entire book being like Dr. Gall is crazy Dr. Gall is the worst I hate her she's terrible she's literally trying to like kill me whatever and then at the end she's like hey do you want to be like my student and like my apprentice basically and he's like oh my god yeah like that sounds so great and I'm like okay so all that stuff you were saying actually had nothing to do with the horrible things she was doing and more to do with the fact that you thought she was out to get you but now that she's like oh I actually really like you like I want to teach you and train you all of a sudden you don't have a problem with her because again he never actually cared that she was a bad person he just was worried about what that would mean for him and again that paranoia coming in which also the paranoia thing here's the thing with 
Mockingjay and like Snow's role in that book. And it's the the line that I talked about in my Alma Coin episode too, about how like Coin's plan was to basically like sit back, let the capital and the districts destroy each other, and then swoop in with 13's arsenal and take control. Um, and he says, like, my failure was in being so slow to grasp Coin's plan, but I was watching you, mocking Jay, and you were watching me. I'm afraid we both been played for fools. Chills. Again, every time I talk about that line or read it, I get chills. But in terms of what it like means for Snow and in in the context of like what I've been talking about, he was so focused on Katniss, a 17-year-old girl, because and a huge part of that. And this is like, I, I, a lot of times with prequels, I, I see this problem of like, and it's kind of, it's not like the, to any, like the fault of like people who are writing certain prequels, whatever. It's just like how it is. And when you write a prequel to an existing thing, there are certain things that are not always going to line up. And it's like, oh, this kind of contradicts something that happened like in the original story that takes place later, but like, it's too late to change it now. So like, we just kind of got to roll with it. But I think that Ballad manages to do the exact opposite of that, where it, like, enhances things that happen in the original book. And there's never a situation where I'm, like, reading the original books and I'm like, yeah, this kind of got contradicted by, like, Ballad, but, like, whatever, I'll just look past it. It's, like, the exact opposite of that, where, like, it even makes so much more sense now with the context of Ballad, which is really impressive because when she wrote the original books, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was not even, like, a thought. Like, the idea of doing a Snow prequel was not even in her mind until, like, years later when she was like, you know what, this would be a good thing to write for, like, X, Y, Z reasons. And so now when you're like, oh, yeah, like, this is why Snow was threatened by Katniss initially because she reminded him of Lucy Gray, it just, like, makes so much sense that you don't even have to be like, oh, I guess, like, that can be the explanation for this random thing. And it's also not, like, sometimes I feel like prequels explain things that don't need an explanation, if that makes any sense. I don't feel that way about this one. Even with like the songs being like, oh, Lucy Gray actually wrote the song. Like it never feels like it's like, oh, you just did that so that it could have a connection. All the connections feel very intentional and nothing feels like, oh, we did this just for the sake of like having another little like Easter egg of the original books, which I think is again, really impressive and a testament to Suzanne's ability to like write connected stories. Um, But yeah, so Snow is so focused on Katniss, a 17 year old girl, largely because she reminds him so much of Lucy Gray and he didn't see like what a threat she was until it was like too late whatever that he doesn't even think that like there must be another person behind this like Katniss doesn't have military experience she doesn't know how to lead an army she doesn't even know how to lead a rebellion she's just like on tv saying stuff um and that's not me like slandering her being like oh she didn't do anything like obviously she did a lot but like if he'd really thought about it, he could have realized that there had to be someone else like pulling the strings on this, but he was so laser focused on her that he didn't even think that Coin could be out there and that she was like the bigger threat to both him and Katniss. And Katniss's reasons for this are like completely different than his, but we're not talking about her, unfortunately. But yeah, so like he didn't even like see Coin as a as a threat until it was like far too late for him to do anything about her because he was so focused on Katniss. And now we like know that it, a lot of that is because of her similarities to Lucy Gray and like her reminding Snow so much of Lucy Gray. And it also comes in like Snow knows the power of like a good romance and like 
like when Lucy Gray sings her song in the interview about like her lover back home or like her former lover or whatever and at first he's all jealous but then he's like no people love romance like period and so then fast forward Katniss and Peeta haven't their romantic relationship is the only thing that is going to like save him basically like if you know that's why he goes to Katniss's house and threatens her and that's very interesting too because like he you know he like there it's not like he's trying to be like oh I'm such a great person like everyone knows that he literally authorizes the Hunger Games to happen every single year and like actively participates in them as like the president of Panem but like the people of the capital like worship him and they're like oh my god President Snow like he's so great we love him so much he does so much for us and obviously the people in the districts are like um especially the higher number districts are like um no actually he's terrible he's killing us starving us whatever but like when he goes and he but he still tries to keep up this like sort of fake like president persona to everyone like when he makes like tv appearances and stuff about how like prosperous panem is and how like oh all the districts like supply things to the capital and like that's how we're able to survive we need each other but when he sits in katniss's study that day when he like the day of the victory tour and threatens her and her family and like tells her she has to keep up this act with Peta and like make it convincing or else he's gonna kill everyone he like puts his whole like president persona is gone and he he just reveals to her who he truly is and I think I might be wrong about this I'm no I can't remember the first time Katniss first compares snow to a snake in terms of like his physical features it might be at the end of the hunger games for the purpose of this episode though i'm going to say it's in this scene just because it makes it better i don't know uh, i don't want to be wrong i'll go do some research and, and and get back to you all um but yeah like to just the idea of like he he lets down his like president mask and reveals his like true self to her in this moment and that is him being like the snake you know ballad of songbirds and snakes um and also like the poison and like all of that like adds to like why they call him a snake and Katniss makes the comparison a few times throughout the series um but yeah this like obviously she knows he's not a good person like she's not an idiot but this is the moment where she sits face to face with him and sees like who he is underneath all of that um which is why it's such a like chilling scene both in the book and in the movie because you like are really confronted with how dangerous this man actually is uh, in less of like an abstract way and more of a like he is sitting there directly threatening her and everyone she loves and not even being like he's being like obvious about it like he's not even like trying to be subtle about it he's like I will literally kill everyone you care about like you need to realize that um and yeah like he always is trying to like keep up appearances you know like as far back as ballad he's like I can't let anyone know I don't have any money. I can't let anyone know when I'm scared. I need everyone to think I'm perfect all the time, blah, blah, blah. And so, and he's still doing that. Even as president, he just has to worry less about it because there's literally no way for anyone to threaten his power without a full-scale rebellion, which obviously ends up happening. But, like, in terms of, like, individuals, like, that's why he poisons so many people even on his own side. Anyone who is possibly going to be a threat to some to him, he just gets rid of. And so no one can, like, touch his power, basically. I don't know. There's just a lot of, like, there's obviously the, like, large-scale, like, terrible things he does. 
but even on like a smaller scale not even smaller like it's still awful it's just like less of the like big picture stuff of like the way that he exploits the victors and like uses them for his own gain even though like a lot first of all a lot of them when they win are still children and even those that aren't are like 18 19 and he like I mean like Finnick is the big example we get in these books but like it comes in many different forms like Hamish Abernathy's entire family and his girlfriend were killed because he like used the force field to kill his opponent which was like not even something he was explicitly told not to do it was just like a strategy he used but it like wasn't something he was supposed to do and Snow didn't like it because it was too rebellious for him so he killed his entire family and then spent the next like 25 years I almost said 50 years oh my god I'm sorry Hamish you're not old um <laughs> the next 25 years basically like holding him up and being like look what happens if you step out of line to all the other victors like that like they literally use him as example for people like Finnick and that's literally what Hamish says um and same thing with like Joanna like she refused basically to do what Snow wanted from her and so then everyone she cared about is dead and she left with no one and like those were the things that Snow personally was doing like he wasn't like firsthand doing the killing but like it was literally him saying to these victors you need to do this or I will kill your family or like whoever it is that you care about and like that's why Finnick like gives into that is because he had like he you know it's first of all he ends up having Annie and Annie is going to be like the most powerful tool Snow can use against him which is why he like takes her in Mockingjay um because again like he knows that like people will do almost anything for the protection of their loved ones and this okay this all brings me to the line that I really wanted to talk about where he says it's the things we love most that destroy us when they when I when I heard that line in the Ballad of Songbirds and Stakes trailer because that line has so much more weight now because at first it's just like yeah because he's using like Peta against Katniss he's using Annie against Finnick like all that stuff but like now you know now you know that he was also talking about Lucy Gray Baird and so when they put that line in the trailer with like him looking at her in District 12 oh my gosh that was crazy so unexpected I was like I did not see that one coming um it's just so good that trailer like I could literally talk about it forever it's just such a good trailer I just like I just love when a movie gets like a really really solid trailer you know like the trailer was always gonna get me like hyped up for the movie but like it was just so well done so much thought went into that trailer like you know it did um and like what scenes to include what lines to like dialogue to include um but yeah including that one I was like this is sick and twisted um I forgot where I was going with this because I started thinking about that line and I went crazy but you know it's just it's just snow being snow and being like oh my god Lucy Gray like literally I loved her and like she betrayed me blah blah and I'm like you're literally the one who like probably killed her or at the very least was like shooting at her all she did was like sing a song in the woods like that's that snake that you were like she put this snake here to kill me was like literally not even venomous and also like was probably just like a snake because like you were in the woods snakes are going to be around um and also like consider that maybe she was running away from you because like you were shooting a gun at her like let let us think let us use our brains 
anyway oh my god I can't wait to talk about my Lucy Gray Baird theories and like this whole chapter I'm getting so ahead of myself though um but yeah it's just like the connections oh my gosh and it just makes Snow such a better character like you know in the original books like he's an interesting enough villain you know it's it's scary because like he like obviously is a very extreme example but like leaders like this exist in the real world um unfortunately and so like he is very much like a character based in political realities but you know he's like he's not like a one-dimensional villain but you know like he you don't really like think too much about him you know you're just like oh he's a good villain period but after this book just like the layers that exist and it just like enhances everything about the original books even beyond snow like as it pertains to like Katniss and like the history of district 12 and like the people of the capital and the the relations that you know some of these people have like going far back in the capital like we know the heavensbees are like a very prominent family in the capital and so for plutarch to become a member of the rebellion like he's obviously a huge shift and like stuff like that um but yeah it's just like a really for snow's character in particular obviously like really expands on him and makes him like an even more interesting villain and just like an interesting character that like before Ballad existed I never would have been like oh my gosh yeah sometimes I just like think about what a complex character Coriolanus Snow is but like now that Ballad does exist I do genuinely just think about that sometimes. Um, I'm gonna move into my closing quote because it's less of a quote and more of like a full passage um, because I was trying to find a good quote from the epilogue of the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes because like what better way to find a closing quote for the Coriolanus Snow episode but I couldn't find a quote that I like or I could I found too many quotes that I like actually um so I'm just gonna read this whole section I keep going back I'm like oh I'll start here and then I'm like wait no this is good this is from the epilogue of Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes um please if you have not read the end of the book yet please leave now please leave now even if you were like oh I don't really mind the spoilers no you don't want to hear this okay goodbye hope you enjoyed the episode goodbye sometimes you would remember a moment of sweetness and almost wish things had ended differently but it would never have worked out between them even if he'd stayed they were simply too different and he didn't like love the way it had made him feel stupid and vulnerable if he ever married he'd choose someone incapable of swaying his heart someone he hated even so they could never manipulate him the way lucy gray had never make him feel jealous or weak livia Cardi would be perfect I'm sorry. <laughs> he imagined the two of them, the president and his first lady, presiding over the Hunger Games a few years from now. He'd continue the games, of course, when he ruled Panem. People would call him a tyrant, iron-fisted and cruel, but at least he would ensure survival for survival's sake, giving them a chance to evolve. What else could humanity hope for? Really, it should thank him. He passed Pluribus's nightclub and allowed himself a small smile. A person could get rat poison at any number of places, but he'd surreptitiously scooped up a pinch of it from, from the back alley last night and taken it home. It'd been tricky getting it into the morphling bottle, especially using gloves, but eventually he'd squeezed what he judged to be a sufficient dose through the opening. He'd taken the precaution of making sure the bottle was wiped clean. There was nothing to make Dean Highbottom suspicious of it when he pulled it from the trash and slipped it into his pocket. Nothing when he unscrewed the dropper and dripped the morphling onto his tongue. Although he couldn't help hoping that, as the Dean drew his final breath, he'd realize what so many others had realized when they'd challenged him. What all of Panem would know one day. What was inevitable. Snow lands on top. Name a better ending to a novel. I will literally wait. Like, I, yeah, like, I literally can't think of a book that ended 
more perfectly and more like full body like chills like oh my gosh in like a really like off-putting way where you're just like we knew he was evil but like he is evil and the fact that he just like thinks about other people that way like it's literally crazy and yeah bringing the snow land on top back at the end like and I talked about that phrase last week so like go listen if you haven't already but like man Suzanne let me inside your brain please I want to see what's going on in there when you write things like this like you know she was just like grinning to herself writing this like man this is so messed up just thinking about that blog the entire blog is so good but just like that last page or like last couple pages where he's like ah I killed high bottom lol like so funny he's crazy he's terrible moral of the story thanks for joining me this week on tales of panem next week I'll be back to talking about the ballad of songbirds and snakes and for those of you reading along with me I'll be covering chapters 21 through 25 if you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover you can dm them to me on any social media or send them to my email which is talesofpanem at gmail.com If you'd like to leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.